Hey everybody, welcome back to Relay. And if this is your first time, first of all, where you been? But <laughs> I'm not gonna harp on that. But today we have such a fun episode. I am here with my fellow Relay collaborator, Peter Bromka, and today we are talking to Coach, a fantastic coach, Coach DeJour, Jeff Cunningham. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about the OTQ process, what we've had leading up to this moment, and what we might see over the next couple months. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a harrowing process. It's a rewarding process. Um, I can tell you, and you guys are very well aware of the last uh, week in my life. Um, it's um, has some extremely high highs and some extremely low lows. Welcome to the marathon, Mr. Bronca, right? <laughs> oh, man, we love it. Yeah. If you're not really getting into the beauty of the whole event if you're not hitting on both the highs and the lows all in you know back-to-back -back moments so i mean i was super jealous last past weekend because i knew that you two were together with a bunch of other people we know who are among the geekiest uh runners we know who are willing to set up um what is it an, an eight and a half uh loop course around a lake um just outside manhattan i when i heard out about this race i was overjoyed mostly because they had run some half marathons there and I was like, yeah, 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 half marathons, fine, fine, fine. But like the marathoners I know would be willing to run around that thing for a full marathon. Um, I mean, the moment I learned about it a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, there it is. So um, it sounded like a magical morning. It sounded like it started before the sun came up just to go deep on this one event for a moment. And we should yeah, say yeah. this is the McCurdy Micro Marathon. I had to just throw that in there before Jeff got <laughs> yeah, started. Since, since James McCurdy is one of my best friends, if, if I didn't actually tag the name of the event, I'd be hearing about it later. But Jeff, you can, you can uh, take no, it from It has there. a sponsor. What's the name of the sponsor? Oh, yeah, back, the, the Backline McCurdy Micro Marathon. I actually met Matt from Backline, the co-founder. What an awesome guy. But, you know, no free sponsors. No, I mean, no free plugs, Matt. <laughs> not going gonna to go, go into the full thing. But, yeah, Jeff, what was, what was your experience with the pre-dawn hours as we all, we all garnished our flashlights as we kind of, like, made sure that the runners didn't bang into each other before the 6.30 a.m. Eastern time start? Well, I can tell you this. Uh, before I get into that, um, uh, uh, the... Um, publisher of Roger's The Source contacted me, and they're actually going to list James McCurdy as a synonym for geek. And I, <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to just point that out. Absolutely, uh, in the yeah. most affectionate way possible. Yeah. As a as a as a as a lawyer of ill repute, I can appreciate the evolution of language. Right? We can have we can have a, we can have a running nerd off between Peter Bronk and James McCurdy. That could that could be oh. a future episode. Oh, who, man. Can, oh. who can who can take the title? Yeah, but the pre-dawn, the pre-dawn hours, it was really interesting to me. Um, you know, I wake up in the hotel and um, and and I and I drive the 17 minutes to the to the race course, and it's crazy because here's this state park that's used to utter and complete darkness and still, and then suddenly you see this line of just headlights going in to the state park. And everybody, one by one, just filing in, just one parking space next to the other. And <clears throat> it was a an excited tension that was in the air. Uh, 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 you felt like you could almost like cut it with a butter knife, you know. And you get out, it was 48, 49 degrees. Um, the air was dead still. And everybody was sort of talking in uh, relatively hushed tones in twos, threes. Pockets of four or five, maybe training partners, maybe teammates. Um, I had, I had, I had, uh, uh, you know, six members of the Bat City Track Club here, based in Austin, who I coach there, and everybody 
is nervous with anticipation because, Peter, you, you get it. As much as you think you know what's about to happen, it's the gosh darn marathon, man. And we don't really know what's going to happen. And then I, I, I see Matt and I think Matt knew that I was I was really, really nervous, you know. Um, and it's really cool because I could not have actually made up some of the things that happened. And I could not have anticipated some of the things that happened the way I thought it was going to go. It didn't go. Um, what a what a day. I'm still trying to process it. Just the best oh, I can say, guys. It's so exciting. I get, ner- I get goosebumps just thinking about like, because those are the mornings that as, you know, fans of the sport we live for it's just it's like here it goes here it's gonna it's like a big wave about to crest so mm-hmm. um i know that unfortunately on the west coast it had already occurred by the time i woke up i thought about getting up at 3 30 in the morning and tracking the race and i was like you didn't want to just... watch my instagram lives from the race course peter <laughs> you're sort of like humid lensed uh big face in the camera sort of like here we are no i mean i i followed along uh once i woke up how it had unfolded and it just the I was saying on our group call, uh, group chat earlier this week, Jeff, though, it almost lent itself more to a track mindset, which has its pluses and has its minuses. And I think it it lent itself to a certain lab type control. And at the same time, there is, I had a friend be like, but wouldn't that be bad because there's aren't fans, you know, screaming all around the course. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it takes a certain motivated, uh, inspired athlete who can really like, lock in and commit to it. I was curious when you found out about this event, I forget if it was in the spring or early summer, did you know, you know, oh, these are the athletes who are definitely going to go or um, how did you first think about it versus how it evolved? Yeah, we had a group discussion and we talked about the pros and cons. Um, one of the realities is when you're a 219, 220 guy, you are an ADP guy, right? At the uh, Chicago Marathon, if you are a 244, 243 lady, which is really, really good, guys. And I think that we've just like lost track of like how incredible these runners are. You're an, AD, yeah. you're an ADP young lady. And so we have to uh, make some decisions on um, prevailing weather patterns. We got out the weather almanac. We looked at how good some people are at um, uh, the travails of in-race nutrition and hydration. Can you drink um, 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 whatever any race decides to put out on the course with the understanding that you can't get bottles off of the side of the street because if somebody sees it or somebody reports it, you will be disqualified. You do not get to run in the U.S. Olympic trials if somebody says, hey, they got aid um, that was impermissible. So we had to talk about all these things. And then um, I knew on the core of my team who was capable of making the Olympic trials if we had a perfect day or if we had just an adequate day. And so then we triaged it. And and then the members of the team who we decided it was the best idea for them, that's what we did. And so we took six, right? Mm. And then I was um, uh, um, lucky enough to have two other men um, in the race who don't run for Bat City, one of whom, <sighs> one of whom was the one of those 218 guys. It's uh, been a tough week for that young guy, uh, but he's going to be okay. But then yeah. some of my other runners ran Chicago, and some of my other runners are like, hey, I don't think I'm going to be ready by October. We got to wait till uh, CIM. Lots of lots of uh, um, um, puzzle pieces to fit together, and it was just a multifactorial consideration. Is that a fair way of putting it? 
Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's its own particular event. And so I think there was, there's reasons to go to all these, you know, when the world record is set in Berlin, you think, yeah, you can run fast in Berlin, um, you know. And so I, I don't begrudge people making whatever calls that they want to make. I, I always think there's a lot lagging effect when a race goes really well. So like Chicago was so dialed this year. I think for the next couple of years, people will be like, well, Chicago is fast. And then we're going to get a warm year and it'll like dampen people's expectations for a Chicago for a little bit. Um, McCurdy micro is an example of something that, you know, we had never seen before. So if that's a possibility, um, hell like it's on. Yeah. And I want to ask you this, Jeff, because when you have races like Chicago and Berlin, not necessarily Berlin for, for a lot of these athletes, especially the ones who are on the cusp of getting an ODQ, Berlin might not have been an option for them. But you mentioned the Chicago, the ADP program. A week later, we have McCurdy. Um, what's it like when you have these athletes who are really close, who you know don't project to factor into being top three at the trials? What's it like in terms of trying to set up a race schedule, even going back to grandma's, where they have as many bites as the app, bites at the apple as they can? but doing so in a way that each bite is like fully worthwhile and you can put in a full effort on that day. Man, you just um, um, asked a question that I think is on the minds of so many of us who are in the coaching business, which is, um, is this going to be a quality bite at the apple? Is this a responsible thing to do with a young athlete who um, might have two more Olympic cycles in them? Or is this an athlete where this is my last chance? Um, and I also look at athletes who um, travel well internationally. Some people get jet lagged really badly. Other people don't get jet lagged really badly. Um, what people recover incredibly fast? What people have only the bandwidth for two marathons a year and anything more than that traditionally has been difficult for them. And so I had to take a look at each runner individually and ask myself, is this young lady, is this young man capable of running this race? And do we leave ourselves a second bite? Mm. There are no, I don't have anybody in this group where there's, where there, where there was sort of a three bite allowance. Everybody, kind of, I gave him, I kind of gave him a two bite allowance, right? I had one guy, um, Berlin jet lag, got him. Um, we're at CIM. Um, uh, some people well, one bite allowance and, uh, uh, uh that guy is going to have to let it set where it sits. And, um, it was real tough. It was real tough being 20 seconds off of the, uh, um, the Olympic trial standard. And, uh, I texted him the other day and he says, I took my bite. That's it. Gotcha. Right. So, yeah, um, it's tough because, you know, as we know, a turnaround in six weeks, six weeks, if you have gone all the way into a well in a marathon, is not super realistic. But then you have some athletes that said this isn't going well and said, I'm 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 tapping out here or I'm going to run easy the rest of the way. And then I'm getting reports back from a couple of them that their legs don't feel any worse than they did after a really hard long run workout. And 10 days later, we might be back out at the track doing some repeats or on the tempo run course. And so their rebound might be quicker. Um, mm. It's so variable and there's so many considerations and they're so individualized. It's just really hard to tell anybody. Here's the template for a runner to take two bites. 
Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Hard. And let me ask this too, because it seems like in this scenario, especially with the last, basically the last day of the window being CIM this year, mm. that the November marathons, maybe more specifically Monumental and Richmond, they are kind of in this little quandary where like, you know, you can't really do that one and get another fall bite at the apple, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? Because if you mm -hmm. can go a little bit earlier, then you can come back to CIM, whereas those November races, unless someone really loves those races, maybe it's like their home course or maybe there's other factors. Again, I've, mm -hmm. I've run Richmond. I love it. And people swear by Monumental as well. But it does seem like those races make it particularly hard to kind of get that two bite of an apple rubric or schedule. Oh. Peter, what's your thoughts? I mean, I think that... When you're starting to count a small number of weeks, you're certainly, um, yeah, like the math is really tricky and it really does come down to the how you bounce back on an individualized basis. I was going to actually jump the opposite way, which was COVID-19 pandemic happens, the Olympics get pushed out a year, therefore the announcement of the next, of this 2024 Olympic trials uh, qualification standards don't get it released until early December three uh three or four days before cim in 2021 that's and right so you actually when you're thinking about an athlete's development i mean i'm as guilty as anyone on earth of making all of running seeming like what matters most is the otq um <laughs> i've become like you know uh i've become like a figurehead for this guy was willing to like mortgage his whole life for you know his whole running happiness was rolled up in this one number. But what mm -hmm. I say to people when they reach out to me is often, oh man, I think I try to catch them by surprise. I'm like, you haven't broken 230 yet as a man? Like it is so exciting the first day you roll with that pack and you are able to put it together and you break 230. Oh, you haven't broken 225 yet? Literally one of the best days of my life. Like I, I always tell people I started the OTQ journey because before that I'd run 228 and I kind of figured you know, 219 is too far off. And I got, I started to get sad. I was like, maybe this sport that I love so much, I've kind of like squeezed all of it out. I'd already done Chicago, New York, Boston. I was like, okay. And so what we did was CIM 2017, we just went for broke. And it turned out to be like one of those perfect weather days that Northern California sometimes gets. Um, a bunch of people qualified for the trials again in 2017. So that was two and a half years before the trials. And the and we went for broke we run 223 and that's what arrived me and my friends in the previous cycle up to like okay we've had awesome days under 230 we've had awesome days under 225 and so sometimes people come to me men and women and they're like i really want to hit this time and i'm like i'm not saying you can't chop the nine minutes off but talk about bites of an apple you're just trying to take half the apple down um and i think this is, you know, this is so important to us. And it's also for most of us, a hobby that you don't want to miss out on the life experiences, those positive life experiences that I think for me, and I'm not saying this needs to be for everyone, it allowed my idea of myself to, to level up and it allowed for my, you know, all the physical systems necessary to go for that, to, to level up. And so when we're talking about weeks, um, I can really only speak to weeks in the mindset that I was in, in 2019, 2020, which I have said to people, I'm glad I wrote about it because I go back and I read it. And I was a crazy person. I was a hundred percent dedicated to like, if it's on, it is on. And I, I had set up a beautiful uh, community of people around me who, you know, very much expected if you go, like 
you absolutely, without question, give 100% of everything you can on the day, which I'm trying to write a longer form about it is like, in hindsight, I'm so appreciative of because, you know, it's very difficult to appreciate something like I we mentioned before we started recording. Uh, Michael Morris is a guy I ran in 2019 uh, in at CIM, and he ran he ran a pretty good run that day. I beat him, um, which I just like have to you know scoreboard because I don't plan to ever beat him again. I mean, the kid is on a uh, you know he's heating up and he's continuing to build, and he PR'd by a minute and a half to be just off uh, the. Mm. OTQ, which is heartbreaking, but also I really appreciated that he had posted, it was a minute and a half PR for him, which when you get down to those numbers, like you don't get those huge, it's rare to get those huge chunks anymore. So it's just to say like these people are finding so much of, the, out of themselves in through the OTQ, but it's not like only that number is what matters. Um, and so I think, yeah, like you're saying, each person has to look inside themselves and say, you know, what allows me to allow my, my legs to recover, my energy stores to recover, but also my inspiration for like to run with intensity and joy. So uh, I, I appreciate what you're saying about each person has to approach it slightly differently. And, and Michael, you know, I think is part of this, of this national narrative, right? So here's a young guy who um, showed up fit, best training block of his life. And we showed up in New York and um, he, uh, um, you know, is one of those one bite at the apple guys. And he text messaged me the other day and he's like, I'm good. And so, you know, Michael ran 218.20. Michael was the first man out at, at, at Backline McCurdy. Um, everybody who crossed the finish line before Michael met the Olympic trial standard. He was the first one. 218.20. Uh, 0.7 seconds per mile. That's what we're looking at, guys. Okay. And, you know, I drove um, up through central New York in a driving rainstorm for seven hours to go to get go to go to Toronto that night. Okay. And I felt like the clouds were twice as dark as what they actually were as I drove through central and northern New York. And, um, you do not have coaching words for those moments. And I, I got to Toronto. Thank goodness, a big part of my team, Bat City Track Club, was in Toronto. And they greeted me that night with a, with, a, with a glass of wine. And I just sat down, and I was just tired. And I just looked at him, and I said, guys, I've never been a man at a loss for words. Never met a sentence I didn't like to say twice, I like to tell everybody. I, there, there, there's, there's, there's no... There's no there's no coaching words in a coaching handbook for that. Four years of work, 20 seconds. What do you do? And, and so this is what I told him. <sighs> I said, how many, how many homo sapiens walking the planet can run 218.20 for a marathon? Any other time in the U.S. in a non-Olympic cycle, you are, for most purposes, incredibly elite. There's only maybe three marathons in North America where you're not going to be in the elite field as a two eight low two eighteen guy, and so that's what I hung my hat on, and it felt a bit hollow at first. But then I think as the week has gone on, it's like yeah, I'm a two, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a damn two eighteen twenty marathoner. I'm pretty badass, you yeah. know. 
But Michael Morris is one of the toughest guys I have ever coached. I mean, that guy, that guy has guts the size of a rhinoceros, you know? And um, he's going to be okay. But you know what? There's a lot of Michael Morris's out there, and there's going to be a ton on December 3rd, guys. There's going to be some yeah. 21802s, you know, and uh, there's going to be some 21808s. We yeah. don't know who they are. They don't know who they are right now. And I would, I would just add to that when people break it down by pace and how much you've missed per <laughs> mile, I think it's interesting, but I sometimes think it obscures the actual intensity of the last 5K. Because oh. um, just, yeah. when you start to slip, I mean, particularly with the way these, these, I think, Matt, from your live stream, they went through about 15 seconds, 15, 20 seconds under the pace. You know, you, you sort of anticipate you want to give yourself a little bit of a margin. Um, I have met, let's just say the majority of athletes I've met don't want to be inside their own head inside of two miles when they have, when they're only playing with a few seconds to spare. Like they don't even want to be inside their own head to have to face that reality, to ask themselves if they're tough enough. Um, they have found a million excuses and reasons to parachute out away from there before it arrives there. So when I saw Michael's splits and I saw how he finished, I wasn't there and I didn't get to see it sadly, but I had a suspicion that he had done exactly what is scariest to do, which is to come right up against that limit and then keep asking again and again, can I stick with it and to stick because it would have been it's easiest and I don't begrudge anyone particularly, but like to blow sky high with three miles to go and to sort of jog it in and say it was off. It wasn't on. It couldn't, I couldn't have accelerated. And you're like, sure. Um, you know, yeah, it is very hard, but you don't earn it to 18, 20. If you're not willing to stick your nose in it, every stride, every, you know, meter of those final, that final lap. And that's what I was saying to people. I'm like, I, fan, I uh, sort of fantasized about this dead flat looped course. And at the same time, having to pass the finish line with three miles to go, feels like a little bit of a psychological minefield because you're like, that's where I need to get back to. And you're almost without a doubt, really, really working hard. And you can yeah. see the expression changes over the course of the, of the race. Cause you have the first, you know, again, this is a nine lap course. So you have like in the first six or seven laps, you have this whole pack of people together. And then after like lap six, it starts to string out a little bit, but not so much where like the people who start falling back can't come back, right? This isn't like a death sentence or, you know, that, that all of a sudden they have lost touch with the pacer. So like sayonara, but at the same time, like you can start to see the expression change, right? You can start to see when they're reaching for their bottles, you know, like the, the going sideways, they're not as smooth as they were. That kind of like the the more aggressive movements towards the balls instead of like the free flowing movement, kind of plucking it off the table kind of vibe. And then the last loop, right? As Peter said, like you come through, you hit my, you hit the the eighth lap, and you come through, you come through your eighth lap to start your ninth. You have the big poster next to the starting line saying, or next to the finish line, I should say, with the elapsed time of that moment, and then a poster board saying like these are the times you need to be each lap to get your OTQ. One side for the men, one side for the women. So you know exactly what that is. But then seeing them come through you know, half a mile later coming through the bottle station and seeing like, just like you can tell just by the facial expressions as you go down the line, like even if you just siloed them and took them as, like, as, as, as individual pictures and lined them up 
and said, okay, put them in order of who's currently running faster. You could have done it just by the facial expressions because <laughs> of what Peter was mentioning. Like they're doing everything they can and yet they are seeing it slip through their fingers, but they're trying to close their fingers as hard as they can to stop it from happening. It's intense. It's, it was incredible to watch the, um, the ease and the joy and the excitement on laps two, on laps three, on laps four, guys chatting, guys giving a thumbs up, guys pointing at people on the side of the course and waving, and then get to lap six, that the chatter begins to die. You get to lap seven, all of a sudden, everybody is stone-faced, staring straight down the street, you know, and then you realize, okay, it just got real. Um, what's really crazy is, is there was a couple of identical twins in the race who I coach, Monica and Isabel Hebner, right from just almost a neighboring town, Allendale, uh, New Jersey. And it's funny because they're identical twins. Um, but watching the facial expressions, they weren't always identical coming through. One twin hit a really bad patch at 15 to 18, but then came out of it. Right. And I could see it. You could see it. And then one twin was feeling better um, on the last three miles than her identical twin. And so the facial expressions alone actually um, peeled back that the layer of identicalness. And they were just two distinctly unique, amazing, talented human beings who ended up not having the identical day. But luckily, both of them got in. You have that heartbreaking moment with as a coach um where you can't you can't you can't fix the 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 20 seconds for michael but you know and then um um isabel um hebner runs 236.29 and was in the pain cave and tells me that she doesn't even have a lot of memories of the last mile the pain cave was so deep it was the deep dark recesses of uh, uh maybe a part of her soul she didn't know was there that I don't think you go into in a 5K, a high school cross-country meet, even a collegiate 10K, right? And then Monica felt a little better coming home, right? Ran 235.55, both of their debuts. But it was, it was, it was um, watching the deep, dark recesses of people's souls if they start, start descending that ladder from street level down into that dark part of the underworld that is a marathoner's guts, and it's in their DNA, and, and you're watching it each lap. And Matt, you, you, you could see it. They go from just there's a lot of hubris and a lot of chatty Kathy stuff the first six miles. Boy, I tell you what, you get to that last six miles. It, it, if they weren't wearing the same uniform, you wouldn't know you were looking at the same runner, would you? All right. I got to ask, as soon as we were talking about the women, on, you know, that was a great story about the twins. And I also wanted to shift back too, because, you know, with the, the men's qualifying time, especially if you go back the last cycle, it's a one minute difference, right? So again, a significant difference, right? One minute is a lot. Like Peter said, chopping off a minute and a half of PR when you're that fast already is a huge chunk. With that said, that pales a comparison to dropping it from 245 to 237. Now, we can skip the efficacy of like, was that a good choice? Was that not a good choice? 
we've already had that conversation for the last four years. We can move past that. I just I want to know from you, Jeff, what your conversations have been like with females who are in that range, either from a talent perspective or because they've already done certain things at shorter distances that put them in range of making a decision of should I go for this? And can you walk me through some of the those processes and conversations of the preceding two years that led into the OTQ window and make, having people decide whether or not this not only was worth their time, but whether they were capable of making that sort of investment. Right. And, you know, it, uh, it's really difficult because for um, uh, really good age group marathoners worldwide, not just in the United States, Qualifying for the Boston Marathon is a um, is a goal, and it's something that sets off just roars and cheers in households all over the world as people are following tracker to see if their loved one got that vaunted BQ. Because guys, it matters, man. And when you go and you start looking at the percentage of people who can actually run fast enough to even hit a BQ, it's actually down in the single digits. Okay, so for your people who in the relative sense, qualifying for the BQ is pretty easy for them, right? The only other goal that is akin to that is qualifying for the Olympic trials. And the vast abyss that's between a woman running a 237 flat marathon, and typically for all of them, their BQ time is 330. We're talking about a 53-minute difference, right? And so you have all these ladies lined up at 252, 249, 243. And so the question that I got asked in the discussions we had was, one, am I, am I good enough? Did uh, 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 the God um, or my creator or, or whoever it is gift me and you might want to thank your parents for gifting you this, um, with the raw materials by which this can be done. Do, am I gifted enough? And the answer is, you know, once you're in the mid-240s, my answer inevitably was, okay, yes, let's check the box. You've already run 246, 245, 244. You have enough basic foot speed to run a 455 mile. As a woman, you probably um, do have technically enough raw material to do this. And then it's, well, I work 70 hours a week as a systems analyst or as a physical therapist or as a pediatrician. Wh where am I going to find the bandwidth to have to stack the crazy number of bricks to be able to get my copious but still limited amounts of ability that got me to 244.47, for instance, to a 237 flat? And so then we have to start looking at, well, do we have the audacity to dream? How boring would life be without dreams? And are we willing to make the sacrifices to rid ourselves of the mundanity of life and simply go for something that's so bonkers and so nuts when you're not getting paid to do it? Okay. Uh, there's nobody that's going to say, I want to pay you $100,000 a year to take yourself from 244 to 237. So quit your job as a systems analyst or as an investment banker and go do this. Well, no. And so we, we, we had to engage in a lot of hard discussions. How much can you run? What is your injury history? What is your injury resistance? Um, 
How much sacrifice are you willing to make? How much are you willing to face the reality that there's an 85% chance that you are not going to achieve this goal? Okay? And if we check all those boxes and you're in, then we're going for it. And then that is what I tell you when you don't have the coaching words for 20 seconds. That, that's, 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 that's the tough part, guys. But yes, for the women, going from 245 to 237, I have both the confidence and the, uh, 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 um, and, the, and the certainty in my ability to coach that I would have no fewer than a dozen, maybe 15 women um, 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 who could make that on Bat City Track Club alone? <sighs> Probably 10 if they had left it at 245. But you know what? When you're 237, there's a few people that are like, I'm out. Coach, I'm out. And then there are several that are like, I am in. Let's go. And so we got three in and we got a couple more who we think we have a chance. But my God, guys, eight minutes. That's running a different race. Jeff, can you expand on Jeff? Can you expand on that real quick about the people who yes. looked at two thirty seven as as an energizing standard? Because we heard a lot about that after they announced it. Like this is going to reset the bar. This is going to energize people. This is going to bring women's running to a new level. Obviously, that was a very optimistic point of view, and it was more of a projection than a certainty. Lord knows, but you're you're in the front lines. Like, were you able to witness that sort of response by certain athletes? Absolutely. And we've seen it nationwide. Right now, we have 125 women who have run 237 flat or under. We did not have anywhere near that number. And I get it. Shoes have gotten better. But I would like to point out that carbon plated racers existed in 2018 and 19. They weren't as good as they are now, but they were still pretty good. And I'm here to tell you right now that the American women have raised the bar because it is the bar uh, that uh, uh, was um, set and affects expectation, self-belief. And, you know, I can get really philosophical about this because I coached in high school for a long time. And I'm coaching some really good high school runners right now. One of these young women is one of the best in the country. And I'm here to tell you right now that uh, uh, in, a, in a society where um, women are taught to be a little bit more self-critical than the men are, women are taught to um, 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 not be as proud of themselves as they should be in a lot of ways. It's, 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 it's cultural, and I'm not going to get too far afield here. But what was interesting was is when we dropped that down to 237, Instead of women saying, this is insulting, look what you have done to us. There's many women that are like, I'm going to do this. I have self-belief. I have conviction in my ability to wrestle control of this and go do this. And there's 125 women in 14 who have met the half standard who um, have met that. And I'm here to tell you right now, you know, um, one of the young women who's met that um, she's 54th on the descending order list uh, prior to them being updated this week. She was out of running. She was out of running in 2020, okay, and was told she would never run again. And she's run 232. 
And I got these two young women I was telling you about, and they just finished college. And here's 23-year-old kids who had never run over 10K in their life in a race. And in your first post-collegiate race, you go and do that? There are women who are so filled with self-belief. And I think that it's been a wonderful thing, but it's also been really tough because I have had some women that just say, this has destroyed my will to chase uh, some of my dreams because now I'm just going to be just, and this is so incredible. We're having this conversation, just a lady that runs 241. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Guys, I mean, the, the, the Olympic trial standard was 250 in 1996. And I, I had to double check 2000, but I remember 96 distinctly. And I remember 2000 distinctly because my college roommate's sister was trying to qualify for the 2020 trials and she had to run 250 and she ran 251. Well, man, I mean, it's unbelievable the number of women that can run 250 now. So it's just self-expectation and self-belief and I love it, right? I think it's, I mean, I think it's so many things that have been talked about, but what I, honestly, the first thing that came to mind when I saw the 237 was a little bit of a deep-seated emotion. I was a little bit like, welcome like welcome to how hard this is because we'd always mm. i was the loudest uh vocal proponent of the 245 cutoff being an amazing uh you know bringer together of women from all walks many walks of life to say like join us and you just saw these outpours these crowds cheering you know encouraging each other the 244s um at the time when they announced 237, I sort of did a mental note and rundown of women I had ever met who had run, run below that. And they were all, in my <laughs> crude assessment, stone cold assassins. They were just women who executed on the yeah. day. And I, they were the type of women who like, you know, technically in my male body, I was faster than them, but I was scared of those athletes. I was like, they execute. So you move the whole thing down to 237. I personally, not to like celebrate in hindsight, but like, I felt like there was a little bit of this, like, we're all going to come together and there will just be a collective dream that overwhelms the nation and everyone. And I was like, six, 559s do not lie. They, they, and the 559s after 20 miles really don't lie. So I think it's only to say, I think it's everything you're saying. And what I'm really excited by is actually, I, we obviously don't know what the qualifier will be, let's say for 28 for LA. But A, Los Angeles games. I mean, how exciting is that? The trials preceding that. Um, I actually think when they kicked off in 21, the, when they announced the 237, it kicked off a wave that's going to take a little while to continue to crest. Um, because what I've noticed in the women that I'm in contact with who are in that zone, who are only 242 women, only 239 women, which is absurd to say. So I just wanted to say it again. Um, it is it, absurd because they are, they are, they are, uh, in my mind, I still call them elite. I'm sorry. Oh, that's very, elite, very extremely. I mean, and I mean, we know it. Not, I see it because several of them have reached out to me over the years and been like, kind of beating around the bush if I would run with them maybe sometimes. And I'm like, what are you saying? And they're like, well, essentially I'm saying I don't have any female friends or male friends who are fast enough to run long runs with me. Would you run with me? And I'm like, absolutely. Like, let's roll, let's go. Um, but it's only to say that I think 
it's deeply psychological and it's deeply physical, which is that it's so stressful to run at that percent of your VO2 max that I think I've been hearing whispers from all these different races that, you know, the vibe is different. The The sense of collective camaraderie is not there in the same way as it was in 2019. And I, I can chalk that up to nothing more than just sheer stress. It's just, it is stressful. And I think when people are under that much stress, what we've seen so far is a we've seen a lot of women rise to the challenge, just like you're saying, way more than had previous cycle. But I think there's been a meaningful dampening on the general excitement for that wave of women. But I think it's building back. I think as more women hit it and more people say, oh, I have a friend who either ran 236 or ran 238. And I never thought she could run 238. So like it takes a little while to build that momentum. Um, I think we're going to see some special things in the next two months. But I actually think um, it's going to pay dividends for years to come in terms of a whole bunch of women just needing that more time to get their mind around it and to maybe come back from a place of feeling uninspired by it to coming to feeling, okay, I've seen how far I can get. I just need more time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to take Peter's, um, Peter's comment there, which is great and bring it back to something you said to me, Jeff, the weekend of the McCurdy marathon and I think it dovetails nicely. And that's one thing that you mentioned to me was like these women and men who start this marathon process in their early 20s versus their early 30s are positioning themselves so much better for this process. Again, I don't want to paraphrase you because you're sitting right here. You can speak for yourself. But I remember you being very excited about this topic. Yes, I am adamant. And I do not pretend to have all the answers. And I think people could come at me. And I think there's some very valid reasons to disagree with me. But I believe that our nation's most talented runners um, are making a good decision to go straight to the marathon after they finish running collegiately rather than um, simmering away in the stress box that is chasing 5,000 and 10,000 meter OTQs. Um, having the difficulty of getting into really quality domestic races, neither having the financing nor the support to be able to get internationally, to go to Brussels or London or Oslo, or even the ability to get into those races. What can you do if you have $150 or $200 in your bank account? You can register to get on the same starting line with the American record holder, in the marathon you do not have the right to go and call the race the meet director of the prefontaine classic and say here's 200 bucks i want to race elise clan cranny in six weeks they will tell you well have you run under 1450 or under 15 minutes for 5,000 meters as a woman have you run under 13 20, 13, 15 is a man in the 5,000. Well, well, no. Well, then you are not welcome at our race because there's it's only a nine-lane track, right? And so what I tell these young ladies, and I, I listen, I'm just going to go ahead and name names and just talk about them. I don't think they would mind. I had my uh, uh, first call with the Hebner twins and uh, Patty Sue Plummer did a a, a fantastic job um, um, with them at the University of Texas, and they had wonderful careers. And my first call with them after they had graduated was, ladies, um, we're going to run the marathon. 
And they were like, music to our ears. Because we believe that we're aerobically adept and we think that we could be good at this. So here I am with 23-year-old marathoners and I have advised prior runners um, past. Um, um, she finished top 10 in a, in a gold label marathon in her marathon debut who was told, no, you need to stick to the 5 and the 10. She was maybe 25 years old at the time. I don't remember exactly. And I said, no, you're going straight to the marathon, and then 2.33 happens in a debut. And so my point is that if you're young, if you're snappy, if you're aerobically adept, if you are uh, self-aware enough to realize what your gifts are as a runner, let's go run a marathon when we're young and we're still snappy and we have nice um, um, uh, um, hydration and pliability in our connective tissue and our fascia so that we can handle the rigors of 85, 90 miles a week. Listen, the 25-year-old body does great at 100, 110 miles a week because you're not an old washed up guy like Peter Bromko with stiff Achilles tendons that are about to just, just rip loose from your calcaneus. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, no, 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 no. I mean, listen, there's 19-year-old East Africans running 206 in the marathon, guys. There's, there's, I mean, look at what happened. I, I don't, I don't pretend to know her age, but the young lady who just ran 211 in Berlin, I don't think she was 37, 40 years old. I, I, I mean, do you guys know how old she is? I, I don't know. Right? She's quick. She's quick. Sub, she's sub two, yeah, two I don't minute know off the top of my head. I think she's around, I think she's mid-20s. Right. Sub two-minute half. Uh, miler, meaning she's got she's got snappiness, and so if you're a mid or a four foot striker, and you can run a really really solid collegiate fifteen hundred, and you have aerobic ability, right? But you might not on a men's side get down to a three thirty two, three thirty three in the fifteen, or on the women's side you might not be a four oh eight, four oh six, four oh five, fifteen hundred runner. What if you're only a four twelve, fifteen hundred runner? Oh my heavens! Deadly, deadly if we could stack some some aerobic fitness on top of you because your basic foot speed and neurologically, this makes a lot of difference now that we're at 237, right, Peter? Because 559 pace for women, as I like to say down here in Texas, that ain't jogging, all right? And so you you better have some snappiness to you, okay? Listen, we talk a lot about jogging races on the Relay <laughs> podcast, so I'm, I'm glad yeah. that you brought that up. Oh, I'm 48 years old, and I'm happy with two eight-minute miles a day on my treadmill. So don't get it twisted, guys. But the reality <laughs> is, you got to have some snappiness to run 559 yeah. a mile, and a lot of speed is um 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 uh, uh, neurologic. Your, your your basic foot speed is something that is a gift. Okay, and now that it's getting faster and faster and faster, you know, um, um, used to if you ran a 2:30 marathon as a woman, um, um, 20 years ago, you were one of the top eight or 10 candidates in the United States to make the U.S. Olympic team, you know? And so there's a level of snappiness that we've got to have. Kira D'Amato is proving to us that being really, really fast translates well to the marathon. And let's not get it twisted. A lot of these other young ladies are really, really, really fast. And these young guys are really fat, right? And so um, it translates well. And being young and going to the marathon does not mean that you have, quote, given up on 1,500, 5,000, 10,000 meters running, it means that you have chosen to invest your copious talent in an unbelievable event that is a test of fortitude, a test of guts, and a test of patience, and they call the thing the marathon. I have a question, if I can ask. Um, it's just a, 
indulgence of mine. I want to know in a succinct telling when you knew that Mitch Amons was going to become the true master of the marathon that he has become. Because I had a sense of it back in, I raced against him in 2018 and then, or 2019. He was really kind. He was like, oh man, you did so well. But I was like, no man, this this kid is, this guy's coming. Um, and we've seen him, he, he ran 216.48 at CIM last year. He ran 216.0, I believe, something at McCurdy. Um, 216.01 on his chip. Um, okay. 216.03 on your gun. But I keep telling these guys, chip times count for everything except qualifying for global championships or, or qualifying for Olympic trials. So, so I tell these guys, look, your chip time actually counts as your PR, right? Yeah. When did I know? When did I know? Listen, and for those of, uh, people who may not uh, no, uh, Mitch's story has been told over and over that he came um, from a past with some substance abuse challenges. Um, um, uh, Matt, I believe he's come on with you and talked yep. very bluntly. He's had some great conversations about on. that. Okay. And so here's a guy who had a 236 marathon PR at CIM 2018. And he hired me in January 2019. And I still did not know what I had on my hands. And then he runs 223 at the 2019 Chicago Marathon. And even then, you know that you got somebody talented, but you're not sure. When did I know? It was the next 223. And the next 223 was 2021 Chicago, 72 degrees at the start. And he finished 25th place in an IAAF gold level marathon. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, <laughs> forgive the expression, but um, we've got a guy that um, has some, has some, <laughs> has some manhood uh, 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 to his body, right? Um, it's toughness. And I made a post on my Instagram uh, just this week, and I started it off with toughness is talent. And Matt, you asked me um, on the last podcast I came on, what is talent? And I said, it's one part, the measurables, when we go and get in the lab and we test your blood lactate levels at certain paces, we get your max VO2, we get a baseline for what your physical talent is, the immeasurable is the ability to do the things like what Isabel Hebner did, for instance, in the last two miles of her race Saturday, which to go to those deep, dark recesses of the soul that scares most humans on the planet. Mitch looked at me and he says, it's just pain. He says, I've done pain. Um, there's no headwind in a race that's ever going to be worse than the headwinds I've faced in life. There's no hill in a race they can put out there. This is going to be higher than the highest hill I've had to climb. And so when he ran 223 and 72 degree heat, I thought, man, this guy's got something I can't coach. That's guts and toughness and the ability to go into what we call the pain cave. And so then, um, you know, uh, uh, ran a couple of races, ran some good races, and then get to CIM 216, um, uh, 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 48 on the chip, I think 216, 50 on the gun, right? And uh, and then you have Mitch Ammons, and now he's at 216.01, and 
you know, um, we know that 215 is, is, is the goal next and 214 is the goal next. And um, I want everybody to understand that life without dreams is really boring. Life without being audacious uh, uh, is a life that's not fully lived. Um, so let's, let's dare within the bounds of reason, right up to the edge of somebody calling you a complete whack job. And even maybe going a little bit past that edge because Peter's a whack job. <laughs> um, uh, guys, just go dream and do it. And you could be the next Mitch Ammons. Oh, he is. Uh, I mean, he's a wonderful man. He's a very good friend. He's um, been very supportive yeah. to me uh, in the past year at times. Uh, what I will say is he has a lightness about him at this stage mm. in his life that makes the work. Um, I think sometimes the dreaming big, the grind, the daily commitment to the craft can be uh, sort of forecasted by some people as a little bit dark, a little bit sad, like a little bit like uh, I just have right? to sit in the sit in the cellar and like yeah, it has monastic. to suck. Yeah. And so to be around Mitch, I mean, he takes care of himself. He surrounds himself with good people who also want to get up and work out at 4.30 in the morning in Austin heat. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I have the benefit of living on the West Coast. So I wake up. He's already posted something, you know, magnificent. It inspires me. And then I, you know, get on with my day. And so I, I just think people like him are important to look to because he was looking to other people and thinking he was the novice. And now he's sort of carrying that mantle for a lot of us. And how, and how, and how awesome was it to watch him and Blankenship running together that whole race. It right? was great. I love it. Two amazing stories. And that that's that's one. I mean, Blankenship, you know, people are like, well, can this guy do it? Yeah, you damn right he did it. And he did it running literally. I mean, I think that uh, 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 Mitch and him traded shoulder sweat literally for two plus hours. Yeah, I mean, they're just right there. And they were just cranking. 609, 610, I mean, excuse me, 509, 510, 507, 512. I mean, they were just pow, 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 pow. Those guys were hitting it. And you're like, man, Blankenship and Ammons. And and listen, they're not 210. They're not 211. They're not 209 guys. But how's anybody going to look at a couple of 216 guys with their stories and they went about, went about doing it? This is going to look at those guys and goes, they, they, you know, that's not that great. Guys, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That was and fun what, to watch, guys. What gets overlooked sometimes is just how the U.S. Marathon Trials is the collective of all the best marathoners in the United States. And for those of us who love the marathon, who live in America, mm. it's really fun. to We get really into, you know, oh, this woman is coming in ranked 100th, but I think she could finish in the top 60 if she executes her race. And so that's what people sometimes don't they only focus at the trials on the you know the top dozen who might qualify or everyone else is just nice to be there no like it's we're going to be following the training of our favorite athletes and seeing like oh i think this guy could finish in the top 35 if he really puts it together you know and it's cutthroat but it's exciting because that's like the sport at its best and there's no dodging and weaving and going to a different race or like oh i'm gonna run one in six weeks it's like no february in orlando like let's throw down and and i got my money on the guy who's willing to run tough even when it's hot and I can yeah, tell. And I, want, I want to dive into that too because, like, before we go too far, too far field of like the current topic, I want to say that at the McCurdy race, the two people that I thought were the most interesting in terms of their countenance was Blankenship and McKenna Myler. So Blankenship looked like he was recovery running, like his demeanor 
and Mitch was hysterical. So the second half, Mitch is grinding. Like you can see it in every yes. inch of his body. He was grinding. He is, as, as Jeff said, they're like literally shoulder to shoulder. Ben looks like he just chill. He doesn't have a smile on his face at all, but he's very calm, relaxed. He looks like he's just easy running. I'm sure he was running very hard, and, but he's just like expressionless. He was like Roger Federer on the tennis court. McKenna Myler, I've never ever in my life seen somebody run at an elite level but treat it like they're walking through their neighborhood for the first time in like two weeks and just saying hi to everybody like smiling the whole time like i thought like i had met her the way she like waved at me like while on every lap i was like hey great job and she's like you know like 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 i'm a long lost friend but she was doing that to every single person on the course and she was absolutely flying and she's not that far removed from having her first child like she worked super hard to get to that race this was not a coasting effort she was absolutely crushing it and doing it in a way i was like oh my god like this woman has life figured out cuz she is hammering and she's happier in this moment than i have been in like at the happiest moments of my life and she is like suffering but like you would think the opposite if you just like took a snapshot of it it was seeing them in in the flesh was remarkable because they definitely provided two different experiences but it, but they were so so different and unique from even the other people on the course that i, I wanted to bring that to people's attention She was a joy to watch, and um, you would just see her fly by each lap. And you were right. She was so joyous to be out there and was so in control, both physically, and then you can usually tell when somebody's in control emotionally. There was no furrowed brow. There was no um, uh, 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 clenched teeth. There was no look of, of, of worry or concern or angst. And she was just flying. It was, it was a wonder. It was a wonder to watch, you know? Yeah, but, for sure. All right. So let's talk about the future, right? So we're recording yeah. this on October 19th, right? So we have Monumentals coming up. I mean, obviously we have Valencia this weekend, but thinking more domestically, we got um, Monumentals coming up, Richmond's coming up, and CIM is coming up, if I'm and forgetting don't, one. And don't forget, and don't forget Philadelphia. That's November. right. Oh, Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, right? no, Philadelphia's... That that course is no joke. So if anyone's going to get going to get an OTQ there, you are you're tough, man. <laughs> you're you're you know you're you're bringing it. Was, that was actually the talk. I remember we were, there was a bunch of people talking about Philadelphia. Like if this doesn't work out, do I go to Philly? And it's kind of like, well, hey, be careful what you wish for because that course is going to be on a completely different level than the Rockland State Park. So those what those are what we're expecting. The CIM crowd is going to be just like it was four years ago. It's just going to be this big push. They are have catered to this mm -hmm. genre of runner. It's going to be an absolute blast to be out there. Jeff, what are some of the things that you expect to see either from like a numbers perspective or maybe some, some headlines or just mm -hmm. like talking points that we're going to, you know, a month and a half from now, we're going to look back on this six week period and say, okay, this is, this was kind of was the story of American marathoning. Um, the first thing that we're going to see, um, um and to Obviously. say nothing of New York, which I forgot to mention. I'm sorry. Which also oh New York City. New York. <laughs> what are we? What are we doing here? Because New York is the only um, platinum level race in the United States left. And if uh, any U.S. runner can get themselves into the top five at New York, um, they are they they have met the Olympic standard. Okay. And um, when you're trying on the women's side. 
Um, it's really not a discussion because we have so many women who have run under 226.50. It's not an issue. But on the men's side, we, we, we don't have as many. And uh, 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 if that were to happen, that would be amazing. Do I anticipate it happening? Probably not, because a lot of men who would be capable in the United States of finishing in a top five, right, have either A, um, um, already got an Olympic trial standard and are not going to be running New York, or B, if you don't have it, you're probably typically not going to choose New York to try to get your qualifier. You would have chosen McCurdy, Chicago, or CIM, which are the three sort of big prevailing domestic fall marathons where I think people feel like that they have a chance. One of the things that we also need to talk about is that there are some other really, really nice races out there that are not sanctioned. They're USATF certified. And so one of my challenges as a coach, and a lot of coaches are scrambling right now, is to find sanctioned races for their athletes to be able to get a qualifier in, right? There are a lot of reasons to not sanction a race, and there are a lot of reasons very good ones. First of all, it's not that expensive to do. Um, you know, for instance, you know, uh, uh, um, I anticipate we could have had some qualifiers um, out of Des Moines, right, which is a very fast course on oh. um, October the 15th, but Des Moines wasn't sanctioned race. So, you know, Americans didn't didn't uh, focus on that. That course is fast. I'm here to tell you that that's a, that's a hidden gem if people want to run fast there, right? So what do we get? We get Indy, right? Um, we, uh, have CIM and then, you know, Philadelphia is a sanctioned race, but it's a challenging race. So coaches finding sanctioned races is the first thing. The second thing, evaluate each of your athletes ability to recover. Can we come back in eight weeks realistically? And are we risking injury? Are we risking, are we risking your 2024 to chase after a December 3rd, 2023 time? I can tell you there's a bunch of coaches in America who sure wish that uh, January the 14th, 2024 was inside the window. And yeah. uh, that window is significant because that's the Houston Marathon. Okay. But we don't have that. December 3rd is where we are. And so um, 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 I wouldn't necessarily advocate running a, another marathon three weeks after, but we know that, that, that January 14th, that course is fast. So can you recover? Are we going to have a whole lot of people who are incredibly tense, who are anxious, who are worried? Um, if I was the manufacturer of a weather app, I would um, crank one out and try to figure out how to capitalize on that because you're going to see thousands and well, hundreds and hundreds of emerging elite marathoners uh, in the days leading into December 3rd um, in Sacramento, California, hitting refresh every five minutes on the weather app, right? Because yeah. if you try to run a marathon on December 4th, you're SOL, right? So we're going to have people who are anxious, understandably, who are tense, understandably, who are, um, um, I don't want to call it desperate, but there's going to be a few. There's going to be that element. Um, I tell you what, the atmosphere on that starting line at CIM is going to be unlike any start at any marathon in U.S. history, given its uniqueness. And given uh, uh, the goals that people have, um, I believe that the athletes who have the capability of going um, um, into their um, uh, um, own zone and who have the ability to quiet the noise and breathe deeply and almost be almost serene, cerebrally, to block out the tension 
and not fall prey to the anxiety of the runner next to you who all of a sudden dropped a gel at five miles, who missed a, 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 a bottle or missed a water station or whose shoe came untied. Um, you know, um, you got to block all that out. And the athletes who are able to focus and just stay calm in a, um, in a cauldron of anxiety and tension are the ones who are going to fare the best on December the 3rd. That's my honest opinion, guys. You oh know? man, I love it so much. I love it so much. I, I mean, I would just piggyback to say nerves will get you a certain degree of preparedness, uh, heighten the senses yeah. and get you to, ready to perform. But then beyond right. a certain point, they're detrimental and you can feel it in your stride. Um, and I think, what I always love about like the athlete tracker of all the splits of all the athletes is that is true. Those are people's splits, but what they don't capture are all the nervous micro surges and the, the zipping around and the surging up to get with your friend all in like, you know, a hundred meters. And it's amazing when you're inside those packs to look around and see all this errant energy and it's all nerves getting to people. Um, I mean, I had teammates say, who are these guys? Like they can't even make it 15 miles at this pace. What are they doing next to us? And I'm like, guys, they're like, no, 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 that's negative. Push that aside. Tap into the positive energy of you have a bunch of dreamers. Some of these guys are only going to make it seven miles, 11 miles. Um, if you can have them set up, a, you know, get in position. So they're setting up a wall blocking. It's not even just wind. Usually the wind it's the AIM is pretty calm, but like moving through space at that pace, um, there is a material advantage to just tucking in and just like you're saying, calming your soul, calming your mind. Um, I think there's, what I love it is like, there's always guys who are like, oh, I can help pace the OTQ pack or guys who are like, I can pace the women's OTQ pack. And I'm like, hang on, go check, go see if you can spot the pack. And it's just a mass of humanity who are all working together. So, I mean, no harm, no foul. Like it's helpful to have pacers a bit, but there's, it's so much beyond that. Like the Ben Bruce in Chicago setting the pace for 223 is truly like a, a setting a cadence um, at a CIM. I have a video saved, you know, that I'm going to somehow project into my gravestone, which is just like a mass of a hundred men, going along at OTQ pace in 2019 is one of the most beautiful moments of my life. And I think it will be that for a lot of men and women. I just, I just impress upon the people who I am in touch with, like, don't be the hero. Don't be in front of the camera. Don't be pushing that pace, surging off the front. There's always later miles to, you know, go catch someone or um, like we know the marathon always has later chapters. So it's just, it's going to be a fun day. And I, I, I have, I have two um, on a pivot um uh 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 right now and undertaking some considerations um one has made an official pivot to cim um not a pivot it's a rollback right from uh, after berlin um and you're going to have two kinds of athletes globally we're going to have the ones who are uh uh trying to reach out and grab an extra 60 seconds of fitness in the next um, six or seven weeks, and then we're going to have the other athletes for whom maybe the race just didn't go well in Chicago, for whom we don't have to go grab extra fitness, just simply re-recruit the fitness that we had. And it is a interesting study. 
I don't pretend to be the grand poobah of distance running on how we as coaches are going to help our athletes navigate the physical and the emotional maze that is the next several weeks heading into CIM. Are we the ones trying to grab a minute of fitness? Are we the coaches who are trying to simply calm a super fit athlete who didn't have a great day and convince them um, through some really, really well laid out workouts that all we have to do is re-recruit what you already had and then be completely uh, uh, firm in our belief that the travails that caused us to not hit the OTQ at Chicago, at McCurdy, at Berlin are not going to befall us yet again and don't go into it because negativity breeds negativity. If I had um, um, a breathing issue, if I had a strange cramping issue on my hamstring, you got to go in not believing, knowing it's not going to happen and firm in your belief in your fitness and execute the plan. And boy, I tell you what, if it was, if it was legal, I don't know because I would never endorse this to run with a pair of headphones on or, or earbuds in listening to Led Zeppelin or Bon Jovi or Molly Cyrus or whatever the heck it is you like. <laughs> Put the damn earbuds in and block out the noise. And if you got to run 559 pace, then dead garnet run 559 pace until you get one mile for the finish. Kick, lean at the line, run your 236.58 and go celebrate. Right? Now, <laughs> The people who are trying to reach for fitness, there's a special level of anxiety that goes with that. Um, but it's possible, right? You got to orchestrate some workouts that are going to let you train in great autumn air. Maybe you were south of the Mason Dixon line, like all of us crazy Bat City people trying to prove that we can be an elite marathon team in the south and it hasn't been tried, right? Maybe just having the gift of 55, 60 degree air versus 80 to 85 degree air at 6 a.m. is going to be what's going to allow you to go and grab that extra minute of fitness. But they're all going to converge at the same spot, which is 236.59, 217.59, and that's what you're trying to get done. And I, 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 it's going to be a magical, incredible weekend. I'm going to be there, and it is going to be a scene because, man, Peter, what's the over-under on the number of people in the women's OTQ pack at the 10-mile Oh, oh, oh at the 10-mile I was hoping you were going to ask me. I mean, yeah, what are you – like, I, given – like, I'm thinking like 50, 60 um, – or I don't know how many people are actually enrolled. I, I, I just know so and, many women I who are just and to know the numbers. I would go you know? up probably. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, I think that's where, I mean, we could go on forever about this, but like, I, I like to always re remember and level set that the men's standard had been ballpark where it was for a couple of years. And so I just met a lot of men who were like, well, I'm just going to go out and see how long I can last at 219 pace. And I was like, Oh really? I'm, dead set on 26.2 miles at that pace but hey jump on the train like block the wind grab a bottle like this will more no harm no foul um and i think women it's just only in we were under two years from when that time was announced for them to start to get their head around it so i don't you know begrudge a woman saying you know i'm not that interested in that i want to go see if i can break a 245 which is an incredible time um yeah. but there is there is this excitement about that pack that I think um, 
it's only come about a handful of times. It was a different pack at 245. Um, and I think it's going to be a very exciting day. And I think I, I'm excited for all the women who jump on that train and feel that energy, you know? It's going to be awesome, the number of people who run between 231 and 237 flat on the women's side, and probably in that 217 flat to 18 flat at the uh, CIM. It's going to be um, um, uh, the, the fat part of the bell curve if we're going to plot your relatively elite runners. That fat part is going to be in those one-minute periods of time um, uh, uh, as runners come across the line. And um, I can't wait to see if we make that final left at CIM, right? That final left turn, and then you have that straight run into the finish line. And you're going to be sitting here looking at the clock, click over to 217 flat. And that's when you start going, okay, they've got a minute to get here. And then to see a huge pack of dudes just come around the corner. And then you wait. You wait about 20 minutes. And then the same size pack uh, just incredible young women are going to turn that corner and you're going to see tears streaming down the side of faces when they realize that they've made it with 100 meters to go and they only got to run the last 100 meters in 30 seconds because they can they're going to be able to do that math and just to see the wave of emotion i mean i'm, I'm not the hairs are standing up on my arm right now because i'm a fan of toughness i'm a fan of the sport i'm a fan of excellence i'm a fan of tears of joy because I'm a fan of emotion. And if you're not a fan of emotion, um, God, I guess go knit potholder. Okay. Potholder knitters <laughs> of America. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> but golly, man, if you don't like sports and you don't like the chase for this, man, I, <clears throat> it's exciting. Well, you're, you're also, you're also a fan a of Texas. You're also a fan of Texas. And to quote, a, a former Dallas Cowboy, get your popcorn ready because it's going to be <laughs> insane. Ready. So, yeah. Jeff, yeah. we got to get going. This has been absolutely fantastic. I knew it would be. You're just such an awesome guy, and I had a pleasure to spend four hours with you the day before the McCurdy Marathon. <laughs> that was such an awesome time. I told Peter, like, this podcast is going to be unbelievable. Before we get going, yes. is there anything that you want to plug before we get going? Because this has been just such an absolute pleasure. Everybody, everybody understand that the criminalization of chasing your dreams, right, um, um, in this country has caused people to tap out and to, and, to, and, to, and to fence themselves in. Do not hem yourselves in. Do not tap out because I've got stories of inspiration. And right here on our little uh, uh, upstart club where we're getting some traction, you know, um, at, at, at Bat City in Austin. I mean, we've got four people in the Olympic trials. And, and, and I mean, we're down here in the South and it, 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 it's a, it was 100 degrees for 70-something days straight. And I'm here to tell you, don't let people tell you that you can't. Don't let people tell you that, well, if I don't live in Flagstaff, maybe I just need to just go and be a jolly jogger. No, listen, I love my Flagstaff folks. I got friends that live in Flagstaff. And uh, in fact, isn't uh, isn't the King Nerd uh, uh, McCurdy? He was in Flagstaff, right? <laughs> King yeah, Nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, yeah. First of all, how dare you? Peter Bromka is king nerd, but you know we can have well, we can settle that score later. But yeah, he does live in Flagstaff. Don't 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 hem yourselves in. And what uh, uh, we're limited by the bounds of our imagination. And you know if you're if you're if you're four feet four inches tall, you might not ever dunk a basketball. But you know what? If you're six feet tall and you think that you have a decent vertical leap, well, just work on it, and you might just dunk. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to dunk. 
their basketball goal, not one-handed. They're going to dunk it two-handed by um, by mid-morning, December the 3rd, 2024. And um, I coach some people who have already dunked. And I hope that I coach a couple more people who can dunk on somebody. Straight posterize. Let's go posterize, people. Let's go. <laughs> well, we'll go. see you there. Relay will be in tow at CIM in Sacramento. I know you'll be there. I'll be there. Peter will be there as well as many other people on the Relay team. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. I thank can't you. wait to have you back on. All right. Go dream big, people.